How's it, internet? And welcome to Two Guys in SharePoint. The only SharePoint show in South Africa where everything is not made up. And there's zero points. Welcome back, Al. Hello, Mr. Modlin. How are you? I'm good, Brew. I must say, I did enjoy doing your segment of the intro last week. It's fun. Uh, well, we should we should uh, switch it up a bit then. No, it's cool. I, I like my bit too, but uh, I thought I'd switch it up a bit last time and uh, get yours. And yeah, it's, it's lots of fun. So you've been going bonkers all over the world, eh? Um, well, I wouldn't call it all over the world, but um, yes, there was there was a bit of travel involved, uh, mainly to the Europe's. Very, very um, cool. I, I, I did a two-week stint out of the country. I was at a customer in Bahrain, because it's not Bahrain, like Bar Bar Black Sheep. Um, it's Bach. The, the G is invisible and the H is not silent, so it's Bahrain. And then I did the European Collaboration Summit in Zagreb and then managed to travel using public transport to Monaco. Yeah, that's the cool thing about Europe is that you can do that. You know, you just hop on public transport and land up in a different country. Well, I, I did 951Ks in a day and a half. Wow. So, so, so yes, <laughs> four different countries. Uh, we we caught an Uber from Zagreb to Venice, so and we drove through Slovenia, so Venice, Italy. We stayed on the island. We got uh, taken in a water taxi to our room by a guy that looks like Mike Tyson with a tattoo over his face. Okay. Uh, and then we grabbed, we jumped on a train, got to Milan, missed the connecting train to Monaco and then stayed over in Milan then took a train the next morning which we stood on for three and a half hours to get to the last city before going across the border Vesta Medulia or something and then while we were on that the next train um, there were stowaways in the cabin in the coaches hiding in the panel mate and they pulled the security police came out and they grabbed these stowaways um out of the train, they were literally climbed inside the compartments of the train. How they got in there, no one knows. And then eventually we got to Monaco for sure on Saturday, Monaco. Hectic. That sounds like quite an exciting time. While you were away, you also lined up a really cool interview for us today. Yes, I managed to get hold of Sebastian Lebeau. I can never pronounce his surname and you'll find it out in the interview. And we spoke to him about the SharePoint framework and how people need to adapt and adopt so that they can move away from coding in Visual Studio and start looking at the new tool chain and the new bits that make up the SharePoint framework. Super cool. Let's cross to that now. And I guess this week on Two Guys in SharePoint, um, I'm actually at, I'm a roving reporter today. I'm actually at the European Collaboration Summit in Zagreb, Croatia, and I think we've had you on the show before, but you were you weren't special as in a one-on-one interview. So we've got I don't I, Sebastian, and I struggle to pronounce his surname, so I don't want to get it wrong because I get slated by Vlad all the time. So how do I pronounce your surname? So my so my full name is like if I say it in French, yeah, like yeah. the real one is yeah. Sebastian Levar. Levar. So you can but you can you can call me Seb, and that's gonna be enough. So. Just from a background perspective, uh, introduce yourself. Uh, what is it that you do? Uh, 
How long have you been in the industry? What is it that you currently do? Okay, so I've been working with SharePoint for the last 12 years. So, so, I was, you, so you were 12 when you started. And, but, well, actually, I was, I was born in SharePoint. So my first gig was a SharePoint gig, ever. Okay. Okay. So, born in yeah, so I, I got uh, someone asked me, do you know anything about SharePoint? I wanted the job. So I said, yes, I, I know what's going on. And they end over to me a SharePoint designer and InfoPath designer. And I became their SharePoint expert. Were you a developer before that? So I was, so yeah, before that I was, I had a developer background. So I did all my computer, uh, like my software engineering degree. Yeah. Then uh, I got in that weird SharePoint designer and full path designer thing for like three months. And then I got into the SharePoint, the real SharePoint hardcore, hardcore development for right. pretty much 10 to 11 years where I've been developing, architecting, consulting on top of SharePoint, but all mainly on, on the uh, development side of things. So architecting custom solutions, architecting products. Okay. Then... Um, I joined I, uh, an awesome gig recently in, in January, so I'm now a product evangelist and partner manager for Valo. I would like to think that I had something to do with that. I love this. I, I, I'd love, I, I'd love to, because I, I think it's right. Weekend in Paris. Yeah, exactly. We met, we met in Paris, so. where we met with part of the team yes. uh, of uh, of Valo, and then. Things. So I'm gonna take I'm gonna take point three percent credit for for this. That if if you take credit, that's good. If you don't take any money out of it, that's that's perfect for me. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm gonna charge Valor a consulting service. <laughs> Find his fee for yeah, exactly like. And now I'm uh, also an Office Dev MVP. Right. So we've been Office 65 MVP, then Office Servers and Services MVP, then Office Dev MVP. I've been changed. Uh, that's my third year. I've been awarded three different titles oh, wow. uh, since then. That's kind of cool. Um, so been doing now mainly client-side development on top of the SharePoint yeah. uh, and Office 65 platform. My, my big thing is Angular. So I'm, I'm trying to shift away my way of, of, of coding and all of that and using a lot of what I think is the most insane innovation at Microsoft, which is a graph. The Microsoft graph that, like... Because it's, it's changed its name now. It's called Microsoft Graph. Absolutely. For a long time, it was the Office Graph. Then yeah. they created the Microsoft Graph, which had nothing to do with the Office Graph. Yeah. Then they just deprecated the Office Graph and included the Office Graph in, in the Microsoft Graph. So, so my question on... I remember there was the Office 365 Summit. Remember that? There was also a world Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So that was the, prior to the Tech Summit, we had the Office 365 Summit. And... Richard was talking about how all the APIs are changing and you're going to have one API that you'll be able to hit and then talk to all a, the a, a series of, of different yeah. endpoints. Yeah. Is that where Microsoft Graph is right now? Yeah, exactly. So Okay, so Microsoft Graph is, is it, what he's been talking yeah, about. Yeah, so for a long time it was, so at the beginning when it, it, it came out, it was called the Office 365 APIs. It was APIs one exactly as yeah. plural, which was still one on, like a bunch of endpoints, not a single endpoint, but a, some kind of a normalized way to get to all yeah, your data. Yeah. And then they put the Microsoft Graph on top of that, and now everything goes through the Microsoft Graph. And one of the cool things now you can even get through the Microsoft Graph to your on-prem data, okay. so you can get through the graph to your Exchange mails yeah. uh, when you have a like well done hybrid scenario. Hybrid, you need yeah. to buy hybrid. Yeah. 
so you can get so you, Microsoft is really really simplifying the development world by providing a nice API with nice contracts and, and nicely built and, and architected, and then it just matches wherever your da- your data is. So Microsoft is really into the hybrid story, and I really yeah, think I, did, I, I really think it's that. not yeah I really think it's not like why a, yeah because you want well I don't know why but I think at some point. People will want to keep parts of their data in the cloud and parts of their data on premises. I think it's cultural. I think it's you bring back like old stories that you were scared about. I understand why certain countries do that. So I would never move my stuff to the Americas or just the one America that has the problem because of the Patriot Act. Absolutely. But I'd move it to European data centers because they don't have that problem. The question really is, and we had Andrew Connell on, um, I call him the people's developer. I think I gave him that name, the people's developer. And he was saying that the tool chain has just been polished up a bit more now. Yeah. But there's still an issue around the tool chain for SharePoint developers. Yeah, because as a SharePoint dev, you come from a very, very, in like, to be a SharePoint dev, you need five years of consulting. You actually really need five years of understanding everything around consulting. And so you get used to the tooling and all that. And they, like, they brought their game up in 2013 when they had like that Visual Studio integration and everything was available and everyone was happy. And then Office 365 came in, they announced the SharePoint framework, and then they said, hey, by the way, everything you know about the SharePoint uh, tool chain, everything is gone. Everything is gone. We need to go back to more open source uh, so tool chain. Just listeners, explain the concept of tool chain. Yeah, so the tool chain is mainly what, how do you get from a line of code to a line of code running in SharePoint? So how do you create that line of code? How, what's the structure of your code that oh. needs to happen? Then what are the different tools that are going to get your code into some kind of a compiled version of your code that runs faster, that runs... Uh, in a more isolated way, and then it can deploy that code uh, and not like 25,000 files into your, <laughs> yeah. your environment, just one file that is used um, as a um, result of you coding. And you, you, you get used to that. So before, if you, if you wanted to get to the point where you add something that would be runnable mm-hmm. by SharePoint, you just needed to build, you add one button, build, and we created you one of those uh, now infamous WSP file. Yeah. And you could upload that and then magically you could use yeah. that in SharePoint. Writing some stuff to the Jack. Exactly. But you had nothing to do to automate that. You just, everything was built into the tool, to Visual yeah. Studio. Yeah. Now it's it's a bit more complicated where you need to use open source tooling like Gulp and Webpack and the SharePoint framework and the Node Package Manager. So and going back to the console. So you cannot build a, pro- a project in Visual Studio. Yeah. You have to go through Visual Studio Code. Well, even if now, um, Eric Shops and Paul Scheifling, they actually built a Visual Studio integration for the tooling wow. of the SharePoint framework. So now you can actually create your solution in Visual Studio, which is absolutely uh, very cool for, for enterprise developers that will want to continue to use Visual Studio as their tool of choice that's awesome for a long time i've been out of the visual studio business because i was using a mac so i had to find new ways of coding for office 365 which i was 
able to do using Sublime or now Visual Studio Code. Now I'm used to that, so I prefer that kind of tooling. But it's not everyone that is used to that kind of uh, lightweight IDE where Visual Studio is just like that insane IDE. It's just a, an awesome IDE for that. Look, I understand Microsoft opening up to a larger community. So, yes, we've gone open source. We want to use GitHub. They've just well, they've moved code. They killed Copilot. And, and yeah, they're in November. They just yeah <laughs> throwing away. I, yeah. I guess there's some of our projects that we're using every single day. Like one of the things when you're doing still on-prem, you need you go to like Auto SP installer on Copilot. Well, not only that, there was a, a ton of of web parts. Yeah, the learning kit was there back in the old day. But yeah, so Microsoft moving. Opening up the ecosystem, sitting in Eclipse, write some code in Eclipse. Um, you can even use Notepad plus plus if you really wanted to. Yeah. Or or brackets. It's called brackets. Absolutely. There's brackets. There's yeah. Atom. There's yeah. a, there's a bunch of them. A Visual Studio Code is Microsoft's version of something like brackets. Ex exactly. Uh, well, it's it's based on the Atom. So brackets is a. So there's Atom. There's brackets, which is some kind of. A, Lay, layer on top of Atom, but in Visual Studio it's also a layer on top of, of Atom. Uh, we see a lot of adoption of Visual Studio, like from communities you would not expect. Like for example, the Angular community is all coding on the Visual Studio code. Oh well, because uh, it's available on any device. It's available on Mac. It's available on Linux. It's available on on PC. Uh, because of the way it's built, it's built using like some web technology, so you don't actually need to have the complex runtime system so you can run that everywhere and by opening it's also doing the opposite so microsoft opening itself to the other communities makes the microsoft people more open to the communities so meaning that okay. now you can enter like for example one of the best uh thing that exists in there is that it's automatically integrated to the git ecosystem so you can publish clone you can push your code to a central repository that is in GitHub or in GitBucket or in, in Bitbucket or in any Git systems. So now Visual Studio developers that were used to use uh, SourceSafe at the time or TFS or TFS Online, now they can use something else. And you don't have to worry about the complexity of TFS. No, just use it. Because it's crazy complex. It is. And you have different versions of it and then so... I can't check my code in. Is it a SharePoint admin's problem because it sits on top of SharePoint? Or? Yeah, well, the, the TFS portal was, was was sitting in SharePoint, but the TFS source code was not. So they had their own, some kind of weird database. So now they're opening themselves to the to the community and the community also listens to what Microsoft has to say. So now that's why, coming back to the, that SPFX, that SharePoint framework, now everything we use is open source thing that we're not uh, Microsoft thing. So we're using Yeoman to create new projects. We're using Gulp to run our projects. We're using Webpack to package and bundle our projects. Everything was taken care of by Microsoft at the time. So now Microsoft is in fact leveraging the power of community to enhance their own tool chain, which is for us as a dev, it brings us new new, new features to our own or new, new skills to our own yeah. tool set. Because now yeah, I want to create yeah a SharePoint framework web part. Yeah, do it. But, but you can also create something else. Like you want to create an Angular app, you're going to do the exact same tooling ecosystem. So now you need to know one tooling ecosystem, and you can create a bunch of different things in different technologies. So it, for me, 
I'm getting more interested in the open source community than I was before because now I I know stuff, yeah. <laughs> which was not the case before. Yeah. So for a traditional Visual Studio, I live in VS and I code. I've heard a lot of conversations around, yeah, but why do we have to learn a new way of doing it when there was nothing wrong with the previous one? And we're getting a lot of sort of kickback from traditional developers in the Microsoft space. I, I don't consider SharePoint developers in the Microsoft space traditional developers. No, they're not. Because if you ever wrote code for SharePoint, this wouldn't bother you because you've been pummeled to death by how to do things. I mean, I guys like Fabian Williams used MVC. Yep. And that worked for stuff that he was doing at the time. Whether or not it works now, I'm not the expert. I'm going to uh, put it across to you and say, well, MVC, did it ever matter to you? Was it something that you worried about? So the that that technology, it was actually a very, very good one. What about as a server one? So yeah. it was running on the server. Yeah. Now today, we're running, everything runs in the client. Everything runs in the browser. Everything yeah. is JavaScript. So um, the concepts of MVC to have a model of you, a controller, brought a lot of the Microsoft ecosystem people, when they needed to change to client-side, they went to something that supported the same concepts, model view controller. So who does, who was doing that at the time? It was Angular. So Angular had the exact same mindset of having a model uh, that stores your data, your, your view that shows your data or your form, and a controller that was just mashing both view and, and um, and, uh, and model. So people went there and then they tried to integrate that into SharePoint. So I've seen amazing solutions built with Angular entirely in SharePoint 2010, 2007, 2013, 2016, even before online. People were actually loving that, that concept, that mindset that you had to have when you're uh, writing uh, code using that MVC pattern. Um, now today, one of the challenges that people have is that uh, they're confronted to something new. They're being uh, hammered by something called component. So now we're building, we're not building an app anymore. We're building a component. That's where there's that React thing that people are always talking yeah. about. React exactly, because that is a component-based technology. Um, that's what I'm, I'm speaking on uh, this week here at the, uh, at the Collab Summit. I'm, I'm talking about Angular and SharePoint Framework. How, we, how can you make those together? Like, how can you mash Angular and SharePoint Framework, even though it's not exactly the role of neither SharePoint Framework and Angular to mash which, which, with uh, each other? So it's, people have to, I think when you're a, a dev today, you need to be more open. You need to stop just looking at your own field and continue to actually work at getting better and knowing more technology and knowing more frameworks. Because now a framework, like since the beginning of our, of our conversation, 23 new JavaScript frameworks were, were, were created on GitHub pretty much, like in the last 20 minutes. Now I want people to understand that this field is moving so fast, you need to be aware of what's going on and, and don't hesitate to shift the way you think your architect solution, the way you code your solutions to fit what's the best solution for your own things. So now it's not only like, I know .NET and HTML and CSS and I will always do that in SharePoint, always hammering that. 
Now you need to know a bit more of JavaScript, a bit more of TypeScript. Now you even need to write JavaScript code on the server using Node. You need to know more about uh, components. You need to know more about PWA, which is uh, progressive web applications that rolls nicely from a website to a mobile device natively. So it's it's all those new concepts that needs to be uh, understood by all the devs and now maybe try to fit that in your routine and your daily coding skills. So that is very, very important to do the shift. So do you regard yourself as a traditional developer? And the reason why I ask is, yes, I know we've got a bucket load of developers and a lot of my mates are developers, but you've just rambled off in the last 23 seconds, 12 different platforms. Yeah. So for me, that is, oh my God, how does he keep up? Are you a Yes, I know that you love, you live inside the yeah. code, but not every, that's why I said, I don't, traditional developer guy that goes to work and writes code for. Yeah. Look, it doesn't matter who you work for, you'd still do what you do. Yeah. Okay, so a lot of people, when it comes to branding, um, you understand the concept, we've spoken about this many times before, but how do you take, we've got 43 developers at the office. Okay. Mostly C-sharp Java developers. Yeah, that's that's just in Johannesburg. Moving them from a, from a build to a deploy organization yeah. and also being able to build repeatable solutions for shipping online. Yeah. How do we, for them to build a WSP, great. Yeah. Visual Studio, I write C-sharp. F5, F5 deploy. Virtual machine on the laptop, you're good to go. Here's my methods. This is my calls. Thank you very much. I get it and I stick it this way. Um, boom. That's all gone. It is all gone. Unless I say to the customer, don't move to SharePoint Online. Let me take your, let me do a content attach in Azure and spin up. It's, but in, in, in South Africa, that will change. You get your data centers now. So people, customers will come to you. Hey, by the way, I want to be in the cloud. So the solution you have to build needs to be in the cloud. Well, I'd rather sell them Azure because it's a much easier path. And a lot of the times mm -hmm. when we talk, because that's what we see. That's what I'm seeing. So we've got a SharePoint 2010 or 2013. Mostly 2010. Right? Yeah. We want to move. So the code for 2010 to 2013 completely different anyway. Even that, well, let's use a 2013 customer. The code is a little bit better suited. Um, the architecture of SharePoint 2013 with hostname site collections yep. um, is built to move to a tenant. That's why yep. hostname yep. site collections were yep. introduced. Not that anyone used hostname <laughs> site collections. It's the other thing. All right. <laughs> special, special. It, it worked in 2010, I think. Also. It did, it did. But we didn't know that it yeah. existed in Exactly, exactly. Like a hidden comment let somewhere to do that. It's like, okay, um, when you started looking at multi-tenancy, then you realize that you couldn't use host name site, well, you could and you couldn't, and you'd still need a blank site and then use the host name because that's how I got onto host name site collections was because of multi-tenancy. But moving, it's easier to move people to, to, when they say to the cloud, to move them to Azure and still regard it as on-premise while slowly transitioning them into this is what your interface is going to look like. Um, and, then, and then scare them. <laughs> well, generally, if I want to scare a customer, I take, walk in with SP Docket, I run the best practice analyzer. I don't even open it. 
I send it straight to the customer. I say, red means bad. Win-win. From a coding perspective, um, those traditional developers, what would your advice be to them around, okay, my business, this organization that I'm working for, no longer wants me to write code for on-premise SharePoint. I now have to write code for SharePoint online. Where do I begin? Because two weeks into them beginning, shit changes. It literally changes on the fly. Oh, look at that. Okay, uh, UI fabric, fabric UI, and then we change the model. So, so where do they start? Uh, granted, they would know more about development than I do, but probably we, I hope so. Yeah, we've, <laughs> we've, we've, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> that took a while. Hey. That took a while. <laughs> yeah, I had to digest that. It's late. It's almost evening. It's a Sunday. It's sort of crazy now. It's because we've been on dark in in South Africa already, but. <laughs> What would your advice be for aspiring developers? Um, what would your advice be to them? First thing, and it, and this is super important. First thing, if you are still, like, if your request is to build for the cloud, and let's be more specific on Office 365, if you're building a WSP, first thing you do, you stop. Okay. You, you, you cannot continue that thread you cannot continue to do that way it's not gonna work it's not and even if you tell me yeah but i build it like the sandbox way so i build a solution in sandbox even well, i know that right. yeah that 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 is that is not running anymore in office even, even though it it's it it's it's working in visual studio as you can still choose yeah, sandbox solution gone, but yeah. that that's gone so first thing you'll do you'll stop doing any wsp second thing you'll do you'll start learning javascript you need to know that language because that will be the language that you will use to code your solution. Right. So C, not C-sharp is dead. C-sharp will, will, will stick for anything background processing. So if you need okay. to run some kind of a job at some time, some point in time, you'll run that in Azure as a web job, as a web job or as an Azure function. Oh. You'll still write those that C-sharp code. But your main code you'll write will be JavaScript. Then... As soon as you're comfortable with JavaScript, second thing you do, you learn TypeScript. And then when you learn TypeScript, you'll get a lot of your lovely thing of C-sharp, typings, generics, interface, classes, objects. You'll get all that okay. back into the JavaScript world. So it's like a superset of JavaScript. It's, it's, right. it's a way to write JavaScript at the enterprise level, where if you... So TypeScript is JavaScript with classes. Exactly. Which is essentially Java. Uh, no. It's it's similar. It, it's it's more C-sharp than Java. Same and same OO type thing. Ex- exactly. So For it's, me, the, 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 the native in this conversation, I remember Java. Yeah. Java was classes. Call a class or a library. There you go. Then Microsoft came up with C-sharp, which was a bastardized version of Java. Anyway. A- absolutely, absolutely. And now you're saying TypeScript takes JavaScript and gives it a class. A close approach. It means that you cannot... You can it, exactly. And then you can type your stuff. So you cannot assign a number when it's supposed to be a string. Oh, I, okay. I, I expect... But JavaScript doesn't have that by default. So yeah. everything is just something. So something can be a number, a string, an object, right. an array of so anything. So first thing, learn uh, JavaScript. Second thing, learn TypeScript. And then afterwards, stop playing with the SharePoint DOM. If you need to deploy a solution, stop hacking around the SharePoint page. 
as you won't have those hooks anymore. Any modern pages, you cannot get so it. So the hooks you're referring to are not web hooks. No, no, not, not those okay. hooks. So the, the, the hooks, when, when you add, like, you, for a long time, we're adding some kind of script editor web parts in, yeah. in SharePoint, and we're playing around to move stuff around yeah. and style stuff and change the behavior. And override the CSS. Exactly. That is, that is gone. Because you need to respect some kind of a contract with Microsoft. As if you don't want them to break your stuff, don't break theirs. Okay. And then afterwards, SharePoint Framework. You need to learn SharePoint Framework as this is the way you're going to build uh, web parts. So small widgets you'll be able to add to your modern pages and classic pages, to your communication sites, to anywhere. Then you'll also want to learn about other pieces of the SharePoint Framework that are coming. Uh, SharePoint Framework extensions, where you'll be able to add the same kind of logics we did earlier with JS links, where you could change the way a field was rendered, Okay. Uh, but with the SharePoint framework now, you'll be able to also uh, do some global customization where you will be able to add a header, a footer, uh, navigations, and all of that through uh, application customizers. And you'll also be able to start using what we call the common sets, which is how to add menus in a modern list or in a modern document libraries. Wow. So now, you know, before we add all of those different pieces, which were called custom actions, that we love because it gives lots of control and lots of functionality, then those are all coming back. So that is a very, very cool thing that is coming back. And then the last one, you need to learn the modern cloud techniques. And by modern cloud techniques means you cannot run every process in JavaScript. That is not a good idea. If someone closes his browser, Cross the code yeah. the code stops. You don't want that. So you need to start leveraging Azure or any uh, cloud services for so you put your functions in there. Exactly. So you put your functions, your background code that might run for a long time. With schedulers. Or schedulers. Or even you need to go and act as an admin for to reaching out to some data and build a yeah. report. Okay. If you don't have access to that data, you won't have access so to So like that. building event engines. There you go. So okay. webhooks. This is a way right. you can okay. do that. Same thing for timer jobs. Timer jobs now are a great scenario in Office 365. You just don't run them in SharePoint. Run them in Azure yeah. Web Jobs or Azure Function. Uh, same thing with Azure Function to have a background processing for a specific function. You want to create a new modern site. You've got to create, ask an Azure Function to create for you. When it's ready, it's going to call you back. You've got to hit some kind of alert. Congrats, you did it. And then you're going to... So all your bots sit in Azure and it interacts with... Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So that's how you, you transition from a very C-sharp WSP perspective yeah. to a modern SharePoint framework, modern SharePoint developer approach. So we have the modern SharePoint experiences, but we also have the modern SharePoint development techniques. And that changes a whole lot. It changes the entire spectrum of things you're doing, but you will be able to link what you're doing now with what you were doing before. It's a one-to-one -one match. It's just oh, different yeah. it's just different technology. Speaking a different language, pretty much. A a exactly. Used to a different language. A different syntax. Well, even TypeScript is super similar to what C Sharp will offer. Oh, okay. So it's not even that far. But it's a, it's like writing um, a select statement in Oracle versus Microsoft SQL. It's exactly the same thing. Oh, it's a it's, bit of a mindset change, but for the most part it gets the crud is crud, mate. Ex exa exactly. So that's exactly what people need to do to transition from, and the cool thing is that they announced the SharePoint framework that it's going to be available for SharePoint on-premises. 
through, through the future pack too. So what does that mean? That means that yeah, if if even okay. if you still work on premises, and maybe you work in an hybrid environment where you have half of your stuff in online, mm-hmm. half of your stuff in on premises, your tool chain will be viable for both environments. So last question. If they're releasing a shipping framework for on-premises with Feature Pack 2, which we still waiting to know when it's being released, I could deploy Feature Pack 2. So if I had a 2013 environment with some WSPs, mm-hmm. I could deploy 2016 with Feature Pack 2. Yeah. One for one, like for like, 2013 is going to work in 2016. Absolutely. Anyway. And then slowly, while running 2016, upgrade my WSPs or, or absolutely to migrate my WSPs to to a SharePoint to a SharePoint framework approach. So if if, if those WSPs were web parts yeah. and application pages, yeah. you'll be able to do that. And then once that's done I could shift to ship it to the cloud. Which brings us to what you were uh, telling me earlier. Using Azure as some kind of a in a temporary state. Exactly, but you're already in the cloud. so you it's, already... it's the purgatory of SharePoint. Exactly. And then use that. SharePoint to... purgatory. <laughs> there we go. There we go. <laughs> Azure and, is SharePoint purgatory. And, and use that as your shift yeah. to 100% SharePoint online approach. So that's that's what you, you, you could do, and that's going to help a lot. In building those new experiences. Well, thanks, Tim, for for sitting and spending some time um, on Two Guys in SharePoint. You're welcome. Um, I sp- I enjoyed spending time alone with you in your room with the aircon switched off. How, how do <laughs> how do people get hold of you? Um, uh, they get to the they get to the room three one nine, or <laughs> the the reach out on on Twitter. So at Sebastian Levar. Okay. Um, so that is. L E V E R T. There you go. And Sebastian, Sebastian. And, and Sebastian with not an A, with an E. So S E B A S T E N. T I E N. S E B A S T I E N. L E V R T. L E V E R T. L E V E R T. Yeah. Same thing for my dot com. So SebastianLavar.com, where you'll have my latest blog post, mainly on SharePoint Dev, using the new techniques, the new toolchain. And that's pretty much it. All right. Well, well, thanks a lot for spending time with us. Uh, enjoy the rest of your conference, and I'll chat to you soon. Awesome, man. Ciao, ciao. Cheers. Sweet, cool interview. Yeah, interesting guy. I love him to bits. Uh, funnily enough, that interview is, is half of the time we spent together because the first interview was actually him interviewing me about what I do and where that space is going. And then I interviewed him afterwards. Cool. Are we going into our usual segment now? Which segment is that, Al? In the news. Sweet. Much easier having you do that on command rather than having to cut it out of an old episode. <laughs> is that what you did? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so what I think first we'll do for the news is, uh, since you weren't here last time and there was a bunch of stuff we talked about, I thought uh, we'd do a bit of a lightning round and get your uh, five-second thoughts on a bunch of stuff that happened. Yeah, so I suppose the largest news coming out of South Africa for the since um, the dial-up internet would be the South African data centers, the cloud data centers from Microsoft for Johannesburg and Cape Town. So when I say cloud, it's Azure and Office 365. Both of them are coming. Yeah, that is super, super exciting. So it's, it's a whole new window for us, really. It is ridiculous. Um, stuff like data repatriation. So we're busy with a customer now where we're migrating 
more than 200 terabytes worth of data to a data center in Ireland, chances are we might put a hold on that project and wait till everything comes up because a lot of customers that have their data sitting in Ireland, and according to Microsoft, they've got tens of thousands of Office 365 customers in one way, shape, or form. Might just be mail, but moving that content back to South Africa um, is probably going to keep migration companies busy for the next three to five years anyway. Yeah, we had a bit of a chat about that and we looked into it and there's about there's up to a four-month waiting period to get your current site migrated to the new data centers. So that's quite a thing. It, it, it's going to be. And just think about the customers because I, I'll take a stab at it. Let's say 60% of customers we engage with have not moved to the cloud because of no localized data centers. And that's been their primary reason. There's no other reasons why. Only that. So if we engaged with 200 customers, 60% of them said no to moving to the cloud. That 60% is going to come back and say, okay, we can now move to the cloud. Please do this. Yeah, that is super exciting. We also chatted a bit about the Feature Pack 2 coming later this year. Yeah, so the the biggest part of the Feature Pack 2 would be the SharePoint framework um, being pushed down, although that's only for web parts though. Yeah, it's also the whole modern experience in lists and libraries, um, which is quite a thing. Well, we don't know how much of that. It was very broad-based in the announcement saying, yeah, the modern experience is coming, but... Remember when the modern experience was released for SharePoint Online? There was started with a library, then it went to a list, and then all of a sudden you got a new modern homepage and all of those things. So let's see what comes out of it when they do actually give you details of what's going to be in there. Yeah, we're still in early, early days. What we're not in early days on is the OneDrive integration in SharePoint and the OneDrive files on demand. I got super excited about this stuff. What do you think? I think it's busy rolling out now. Huh? Yeah. Some people have mentioned that their tenants have received it. I'm not 100% sure. Files on demand, great. Uh, selective syncing. It's nice because I can say, give me an entire library and only push specific files down to my device. So I've got a view of it, and then I can push it down. Also, being able to open the app or open up the file online before downloading, it's also great. I think that's a cool feature. We've got a couple of customers that do a lot of traveling, and this just makes the view on the iPad lighter than having to sync the entire library. Yeah, and just having the ability to have it in Excel and make everything easier for people, it's very cool. What do you think about the communication sites? Mm, I watched the demo, really cute. I'll wait till it rolls out before we start looking at real-world applications with it. Okay, yeah, it's it's a bit of a... I'll, I'll have to really play around with it to see just how functional it is. Look, I'm glad that there's another site outside of just team sites to work with. Even though traditionally there are a bunch of other templates, it's just the de facto is normally, well, team sites. Now, my question around communication sites, I think there will be an option when you create an Office 365 group to select the site template that you want to create for the for the SharePoint site that gets created with. Yes, well, we don't know. We'll, we'll see when we actually get there. And speaking of sites, you can now sort of iframe a SharePoint site in a Teams instance. Yep, that's the official button now. But you could you could always add it and iframe it. I think Tracy actually blogged about it once. Yeah, it's so that that's sort of all of a piece now and and fully integrated through, and that's super cool. I, I think that that that's keeps sort of everything yeah. together. 
And then the last bit is the new search options in SharePoint Online, all the people stuff. Oh, the new people card that's coming. Yes, that looks actually quite quite neat. I think it's some people have also said that it's it's busy rolling out. I don't have a, a, a hard and fast date on. Uh, the problem is Microsoft says, hey, it's coming, and then you wait for it to get rolled yeah. out to your team. It's not like it's in alphabetical order. It's probably uh, this group of virtual machines in that availability zone, in that data center cluster, in that country, and we roll out yeah. from there. Well, handy. So that that's the news from last week, and Al's lightning takes on them. So then we get into the new news. New news. The new, new news. So what what's up first, Al? For those going to Microsoft Ignite, it's in Orlando, Florida this year, and it's the last week of September. I think it starts in the 23rd, 24th. I'm not 100% sure. But the session catalog is live. So if you head over to ignite.microsoft.com, you'll be able to see it. There's 307 sessions available right now. That is a lot. That is super crazy. It's not not all of them, though. That's just the ones that they've posted. Um, They'll be adding speakers to the session catalog as well over the next couple of weeks. And we should see the full catalog with all the speakers, the breakout rooms, because uh, they've got different types. So you have a 75-minute session. You also have a 45-minute session. So all of that information should be 100% available by the beginning of July. Sweet. In other related news, Microsoft has added um, the ability to add and edit contacts in Outlook on iOS. I wasn't aware of the fact that you couldn't already. Um but I suppose it just gave oh, you a view of... I don't have an iPhone, so... Yeah. Um, but now now you can do that. So they really are sort of bringing all this functionality to all the different platforms. Um, and linked to that, they've announced that um, OneDrive will support the Files app in iOS 11, which is... Um, well, the, iOS 11 now has, for iPads, now has a file system. <laughs> because there was never a file system. Yeah. Because like it's... It, it's not like you expected to do any actual work on it. And I, I still kind of don't think you are, but uh, it, it's a little closer there, I guess. Uh, look, it's always been closed. I like the fact now that there is a file system. So you plug a drive, you plug your iPad into something and into your notebook and you can see some stuff that uh, makes some sense to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's It's good, I guess. What else we got? No, it is. So Visual Studio for Mac is officially available generally to the public, which I think is a step in the right direction. Again, like Microsoft everywhere, right? Look, it's nice that that they're actually pushing additional products outside of Office to Mac. And a lot of my dev friends enjoy MacBooks and there's been new MacBooks or MacBook Pros announced recently over the last two days um, with new iPads iPad Pros as well um, released. So it's good that Microsoft is expanding the ecosystem for people writing code for Visual Studio um, onto the Mac so that you don't have to parallel. And then, although the transition between Mac OS and parallel running on Mac is great, except your battery life just goes to a ball of shit. Yeah, that is always the issue. The other nice thing that Microsoft's done now, um, they've overruled their Skype consumer app, so the one that's on Windows 10. Yeah. So you're getting more of a Instagrammy, Snapchat look and feel, 
and that should start rolling out um, shortly. And it's a big change for them, very big change for them. I, I haven't seen that. It does make sense, you know. Skype hasn't really had a hasn't had an it update in quite while in quite a while. Yeah, like the the, like the ecosystem has changed a lot. What people expect things to look like has changed a bunch. So it's good that's getting a facelift. I'm glad for Chris. They don't have any sort of tooling around outside of Skype that actually does sort of socially acceptable things. I mean, we've seen Snapchat, we've seen WhatsApp, we've seen Instagram, those sort of tools that actually allow for decent sort of IM conversations, even though it's not the primary reason for it. Um, It's good that Microsoft is now finally realizing, let's do something with Skype. Um, Let's get Skype up to what it could be as the de facto messaging IM tool for Windows consumers. Yeah, let's hope so. Not just Windows consumers, like all around the place as part of their strategy to be everywhere, just like Planner. So they've announced that there will be Planner mobile apps for iPhone and Android, which is fantastic. Like that's that that's what's got to happen if, if it's going to be adopted in any meaningful way. So do you use Planner or To-Do on your mobile device? Because that still confuses... Um, the jeebus out of um, because I, I, I you've got a task which is a to do sitting in a plan. <laughs> yeah, I I guess I'm not I'm not really sure. To tell you the truth, I say you'd use the planner thing. It depends what you're doing it in. If if you're working as part of the in part of these teams and the teams using planner, um, then I'd say you'd use planner. But we'll, we'll have to see till we actually get to using these things. Um, where where yeah. you use what? I suppose the next. The rest of this year would be people settling into the feature sets that ship with Office 365 easier. Yeah. All right, next on the list. Uh, so there was also another announcement around you can now deploy content locally. So if you are sitting in South Africa, but you've got offices in the US and in Europe, you can now deploy their contents locally in those data centers. Okay, so each division you mark. So, so it's... Uh... It's a decentralized deployment, so you can have pockets of information in different places using the same tenant sort of thing. Yeah, but have the content stored. So there's geolocation services running where you can do that. That's what it is. So the centralized deployment service is really being able to deploy stuff centrally using PowerShell, for example. Okay. From the Office 365 admin center. Sweet. That's so you can deploy handy. Office ad or Office web add-ins from there. Okay, that's that's cool. That that is that's what cool. that's what the center lost. I got it confused with the geolocation stuff. It must still be jet lag. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll give you a while to uh, to use that to as an excuse. Yeah. All right. Next up, Mr. Bodlin. Microsoft have announced the first always connected Windows ten devices um, on ARM. So the, 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 the first always connected Windows 10 PCs on ARM are coming from Asus, HP, and Lenovo uh, sometime soon. I remember last year, uh, there was the beginning of this year, Microsoft did a thing with Qualcomm saying, you can now have full-blown Windows 10 experience on ARM PCs, and they were demoing it. I'm glad to see that Asus and the other vendors are actually pushing the product, which is always good to see. Like you said on previous sessions or previous episodes microsoft sets the stage and then they get everyone else to build on top of that because we're seeing that now with there's the new surface pro that was launched obviously the surface laptop and 
all the larger hardware vendors are actually building devices similarly to what Microsoft is showing. Yeah, they, they give the concept car and then everybody else builds the actual ones. So yeah, that that's cool. It'll be nice to see those, see how they actually perform on, on the ARM processor. What's interesting to note is that Microsoft, just on the back end of Skype, they're killing the Skype app for Windows phones and Windows RT. So finally, we're seeing the death of those platforms. Yeah, well, it's that, that was an experiment that I would say failed miserably, I think. Uh, it's uh, just the app ecosystem. So uh, Microsoft has finally realized, well, forget Windows Phone, although I've seen some, the rumor mill was, was all ablaze two days ago around someone talking about a Surface Phone. Uh, they didn't call it a Surface Phone, they called it something else. Um, but there was a lot of chatter around that about two days ago. Okay, like that that comes up periodically. I don't I don't think it's a thing. I really like it, it's not a thing. And they're not doing a surface. They they are well out of the phone market, right? They they're not doing another Windows phone, another Windows based phone. Well, they don't have an app platform yeah. to sell any device of any kind. And, unless um, unless they could get the I mean. They could do it. They could do an, an Android emulator sort of thing using containers and whatever and have it run Android apps, but may, maybe that's a thing. Actually, that would be cool. If I could get a Windows mobile operating system that could run Android apps, that would be that would be my best thing ever. Look, there were apps like got BlueStacks that allowed you to run Android on Windows. Yes, that was, that, that was on Windows PCs more than anything else. You, you wouldn't run that on a mobile phone. I suppose Microsoft would only want to get into that space if they really considered that they'll make money of selling the device. Yeah. Because Nokia's been sold, so they don't have a hardware manufacturer anyway. Yeah, exactly. So it would be much the same thing as a as a Surface or whatever. It would be they they do the concept piece and then the other carriers would pick it up, the other hardware makers. Yeah, it seems likely, likely to be that. Yeah. And you've got uh, a last piece for us here, Al? So the GDPR, people that don't know what the General Data Protection Regulation, it's out of the uh, European Union. Um, Poppy is based on it, so Poppy rolls up into that. Um, it is important. Uh, the world's all, it's all around the world. So it applies to South Africa. It applies to, obviously, Europe because it's created by the European Union. also applies to companies in the United States as well. So there's pocket guides you can download and all of that because come May next year, it's when it's being enforced. And then you've got two years to play catch up. Otherwise, you start getting fines. And Microsoft is always advocating security, compliance, governance, all of those things. And you can actually grab a webcast on the 13th of June uh, from Microsoft talking GDPR. And if you head over to blogs.microsoft.com or blogs.office.com, you can actually register for that webcast. Oh, it's called uh, GDPR, what you need to know on modern workspace. And do yourself a favor. If you are in compliance, get to know what that is and how everything works around Poppy. Because next year we've got a data center, in, well, we'll have two in South Africa, and you're going to need to know that information well. Yeah, and, and how exactly to set it up, because it is, it is quite labyrinthine on how to set all these things yeah. up. There are a bunch of tools. I know um, Avpoint's Compliance Guardian sort of stuff can make this a lot easier. It is a lot of work for a company to 
to implement something that can cover these legislations. It's not, it's not something you can just turn on. It is a big process. So if you haven't started already coming up with a plan to get compliant for this, you, we, you really need to start thinking about it now because we're already quite late in the day. Yes, it is. Um, also, there's some cool stuff coming from Microsoft that's already available in Azure Information Protection. Also, just on the AvPoint conversation, when you start looking at the other product, RevIron, the Compliance Guardian is actually built into that. So you can do auto classifications pretty much the same way that the Security and Compliance Center does stuff around. If I index something that has these phrases in, lock it down, do not allow people to do stuff with it, etc. Yeah, that takes a big load off the people who have to manage all this stuff because in an enterprise, it's next to impossible for a small team to to catch all of these different things for the amount of content we create these days. Sweet, so I think that's it for the news, Al. Yeah, that covers a, a quick wrap-up, even though we are almost at the 30-minute mark. Yes. Um, so then it's time for my favorite segment, which I didn't get last time. Oh, yes, I wasn't here. New find of the week. And your one this week is something near and dear to my heart. Yes, you'll be very excited about this. And we sing it, mate. We started this podcast in September last year, and I've been saying the same thing. We're seeing a lot of product coming out of Europe. This is another unknown product. Uh, it's a company by the name of Webcon. Uh, it was They had a booth at the European Collaboration Summit. Okay. And since 2008, they've been developing BPM solutions. And they've got a product called the Webcon Business Process Suite that allows you to build. So take InfoPath, take Forms, um, InfoPath and SharePoint Designer and make that functionality available natively in SharePoint. Okay. And they're coming out of Poland. So they've got all these really cool features inside of their products. So it's exactly that InfoPath and SharePoint Designer inside of SharePoint with an expression builder and all of that for your rules and stuff. I'm super interested in that, man. There's so much that InfoPath did nice and elegantly that is just not possible in a bunch of the other BPM tools. Yeah, what they've also got is they've got some nice videos with real business caches on their site. So invoice approval, purchase requisitions, there's some other things, supply chain. They've got things that they've already pre-built that you can have a look at. So head over to, to the just Google Webcon for SharePoint, and you'll actually find the tooling there. Sweet. Over to my favorite segment of the week. <laughs> the PowerShell commandlet of the week this week is quite a cool one, actually. It's new SP Enterprise Search File Format. So in SharePoint, we have the ability to install iFilters, which is um, yes. just, just a little extension that tells SharePoint how to deal with additional extensions. It's obviously very good with all the... Office extensions and uh, file extensions and PDFs and all the common ones. But quite often when we're working in the different verticals, there are specific con uh, specific types that we need to deal with, whether it's AutoCAD files or th that sort of thing. And you can get these iFilters that you can install. What this commandlet does is you can then tell SharePoint Search about it. And this is, this is the iFilter, this is the file format and it can then uh, deal with it in a different way and treat it as a separate content type and know what to do with it, which is pretty cool. That is neat, yeah, because SharePoint ships with Office filters and obviously the PDF filter. Yes. And then you get, I know there's a DWG filter for your AutoCAD stuff. I, I haven't seen, I haven't really looked over the last couple of years on, on what else there is for, and the filters are used 
two things. One, so that you can index content. And I don't know if those actually roll up into the office protectors, though. I am not sure. The eye filters, as I understand it, are strictly on-prem. And so we don't get into all that. Hmm. I wonder how this would sort of interact. I haven't done one of these in quite a while. But that would, that would be an interesting thing to play with. If any of the listeners have used this recently um, and can answer Elle's question there, please do give us a buzz. So I suppose it says enterprise search. So I shouldn't be talking about office protectors. Um, even though it uses the same sort of um, eye filter tooling for it. Yeah. So just a little bit about um, the different parameters you pass into this. You can look it up online. Obviously, the the big one is um, you get a format ID, which is the actual extension, so DWG or whatever, and then the format name you'd call AutoCAD or whatever the case is. So there's that differentiator there. The format name is not the the extension part. And then you can give it a MIME type as well, which you'll you'll get out of the eye filter. So there so we does go. it automatically add the MIME type? Or do you have to add the MIME type to SharePoint, which will probably come through the file yeah, that, uh, eye filter? That, that comes with the eye filter, yeah. You do have to install the eye filter first before you can run this command, um, which will put in the, the, the MIME type. Um, and you, you just tell this, this is what it is. Um, you, use, you use that parameter. Sweet. All right, is that it? I think so. Good episode this week, Al. Yeah, we covered a lot. It's good to be back. Um, getting back to our normal programming. Um, I, I won't be traveling for a while. If you guys want to get hold of us online, you can find our website, twoguysandsharepoint.co.za. We're also on Twitter, at twoguysharepoint. I'm on Twitter, at oddmodlin, and L is... At Alistair Pugin. We're also all over the internet. You can do a Bing search for us, and we'll see you next week. On your favorite podcast app as well. Yes. All over the internet. Cheers, Al. All right. Is that it? Cheers, that cheers. Is it. Ciao. mixed up yeah um i'm just checking hold on i've got this confused with something else